Hello everyone and welcome back. Today we'll be talking about international law and how its influence affects us all. So what is international law? It is a system of treaties and agreements between other nations that govern how these nations interact with other nations, citizens of other nations and businesses of other nations. There are two categories of international law. The first being private international law, which deals with problems between private entities such as people and corporations. Then there is public international law, which concerns the relationships between nations. They pertain to the standards of international behaviour, like the laws of the sea, environmental law and human rights law, to name a few. The United Nations is a notable example of an organisation that enforces international law. The formation of the UN after World War II ensured the development of a body of international law ensuring the peace and the sense of security around the world, especially after the horrors of the Holocaust and other war crimes, which is still relevant today. The UN currently consists of 192 member states that regularly meet to discuss and create new laws. An important decision made by the General Assembly at the UN was the Universal Declaration of Human Rights on the 10th of December in 1948. The declaration consists of 30 rights and freedoms that belong to all of us, demonstrating the universal effect of international law. So I'm going to talk about the weaknesses and the strengths of international law. So. Some of the strengths are that it sets up a framework in the legal system and defines states and legal responsibilities in their conducts with each other. It also regulates global commons, so for example, the environment and sustainable development. However, the weaknesses do outweigh the benefits. So there is a lack of effective legislation. Um, based, it's based on international treaties and conventions, which is interpreted by each state according to their self-interest so it's basically different for everyone there's also a lack of effective sanctions so rules of the international law are frequently violated because there's no sense of fear of the sanctions and there's also uncertainty because unlike um, municipal law which is like laws to a particular country and covers a range of issues um, it's not definite so it's uncertain all the time and lastly the sources um, of international law also act as a weakness so there are two main sources international treaty and customary law so international treaty is a binding international agreement by which the states parties agree in writing to observe their contractual obligations and customary law um, comes in two parts so there's the state practice and the um, opinion jurist and these two parts basically mean that a state's verbal or material acts have to be accepted as abandoned law by the rest of the international community which basically means that once a state does something or produces something everyone else has to accept it which gives them a level of freedom that can be concerning so in a modern day context on april 7th an american warship went through india's eez off of the Lakshadweep islands without consent now an eez is an exclusive economic zone which is formed by the un convention on the law of the sea 
in, I think, 1982. And this essentially means that a sovereign state or, or a country will have special rights and, and it can regulate the exploration and use of marine resources within the boundaries of, of that area of the sea. So John Kirby from the Pentagon said that the American warship asserted navigational rights and freedoms in the vicinity of the Republic of the Maldives. It was an innocent passage in, in normal operations. Now, navigational rights is essentially, it stems from the same convention and it dictates that there is a right of innocent passage through an EEZ. So, in this context, if what John Kirby is saying is true, which I, I assume it is, uh, the US haven't committed any sort of crime, although India did not authorise any military presence in in their EEZ. So this raised complications and um, India vocalised their, their opposition to America being in their EEZ. So as a just as a starting discussion question, the purpose of international law is to find I'd say to cover that that grey area that is between between nations, but also to there's a sense of unity by having international law. Do you think we could ever ever be in a position? This is going to sound crazy. Do you think we could ever be in a position where there would be no international law? We could all come together and have the same sort of conventions for for every nation. What do you guys think? I don't think that's possible. Because I feel like every, well, a lot of countries have their own different cultures that don't align with the cultures of other countries. So I think with how law is based, sometimes formulated with cultures in mind, it's not going to be the same effect for all countries. So I don't think that's possible. Um, I agree with Tony. I feel like um, different countries have their own cultures and that influences laws greatly but putting that aside i feel like countries act for themselves regardless so without international law without something there making them work like in peace i don't think they would i really feel like it would be a total disaster even worse than anything that's already going on and i just feel like yeah um poorer countries would suffer and yeah, I don't think it would be good. That is an interesting point you've raised about about poorer countries potentially suffering. Do you think it would make more sense then if uh, a collection of smaller countries kind of united into one larger country, or not even smaller countries, if just a collection of countries in general with um, the same sort of similar culture, um, a similar sort of religious background, because I know that religion does tie into some some laws and some legal systems. Do you think that perhaps smaller countries uniting would be positive for them, especially with um, poorer countries? It means that they have more resources and more international collections. What do you what do you guys think about that? Um, I feel like that could potentially work, but I feel like they would have to do that on their own. I feel like if anyone tries to force that onto them or try and tell them how to do it, I don't feel like anything good would come out of it i feel like if countries feel like they have a good enough alliance in order to do so then that would be really good and would create something stronger so when bigger countries are trying to oppress them or are coming up with their own stuff they can kind of fight back yeah i also agree because i think sometimes the reason why countries are poor 
is like one reason being conflicts with other countries and other surrounding countries and also over exploitation from other bigger western countries as well so i think by aligning together they throw away the threat of war between each other and provide an entity strong enough to compete with other countries that can help make their presence more significant in the world i, I suppose i would say on that that there is still a large risk of civil war when when countries unite because not everyone's going to do, agree with the decision um i don't really think this is an example that ties into what i've just said but it does tie into the idea of countries um uniting i don't know if you guys have heard about china and and hong kong and the idea that china is trying to essentially they are violating the terms of um an agreement they had and china just basically wants to consume hong kong make one big country and the people in hong kong say no and you know the chinese government wants that to happen in in cases where you know a stronger a stronger nation with with more resources and a larger army is taking over a smaller nation what really is there that other countries can do other than you know imposing economic sanctions because if you can withstand you know um increased tariffs that kind of thing besides a world war what is there really stopping nations from consuming smaller nations i think um as you're mentioning with tariffs i think economics plays a big um factor into this in weakening a country especially a major country for example with france and the anti separatism bill and like the bill being quite threatening to like, the muslim popula- population there has been like murmuring to people boycotting french products which when we did it before it had a big imp- impact and it caused i guess the delay of this bill and now it's come out today so i think maybe you can applying more economic pressure will make a country rethink what they're actually doing but i know it only has an effect of delaying not completely stopping the problem that's going ahead um i agree with that to a certain extent but at the same time i don't feel like um tariffs are effective at all especially when it comes to richer countries when it comes to acs i feel like um they um act untouchable and really i feel like um we need to work not on taking power away from richer countries but empowering poorer countries because i feel like richer countries have got to a point where they've kind of found a way to get around the system and if you don't support the poorer countries i don't feel like there's anything we can do and i just feel like it's going to end really badly yeah i do agree with that um the idea that tariffs don't really work to a certain extent it's kind of like the the idea that a crime that where the only the only punishment is a fine is only really a crime for the poor you know if you're if you're rich a tariff isn't going to mean much and i think for a country like somewhere like china there's a massive source of of production like globally for loads of loads of products that we use in our, our our everyday lives i feel as though tariffs and those kind of sanctions I I don't know. I feel as though China have quite a lot of power in terms of what they can produce and and how that their 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 sphere of influence it stretches across the globe and could be like realistically 
boycott all Chinese products? I think the answer to that would be a hard no. A lot of countries, England included, don't have the, the capability, the capacity to produce everything that is currently in in their countries. No one can do that. So if we're relying on trade and then the kind of sanctions in place are, are associated with trade, it is then again sort of who, whoever's the most powerful in terms of what they're, they're exporting. I don't think it really matters what, what they get up to ethically, because um, ethically, because in in the end, like we need them. I think there's like a certain level of reliance on those more advanced countries. However, I do think there is, in theory, what what more do you reckon could be done? I know you said um, I know you said episode that you could take away not take away power from from the richer countries, but empowering the poorer countries how do you think we would go about doing that as a as a government or as a collective or a collection of countries like the un or or the eu um i feel like it would be hard because in order to do that you would kind of need some type of advice or some type of um guidance from the countries that have done it before and if you're doing it so they can't oppress other countries and they'll be very willing to help but I feel like if we can just find a way to I don't know just kind of help each other I feel like if other countries can just help poorer countries develop themselves not even with like money or anything like that but just ideas on technology and things like that it would help them get further and I feel like um people think they just need money but I actually feel like it's more of the creative side and just advancing their technology and their communication with the people that have done it before. I think in regards to receiving help from the UN I think because 192 out of the current 195 countries in the world are members there's sort of that aspect well some people would have the viewpoint well we're all kind of together so why can't you benefit from this maybe it's to do with your maybe it's that's a you problem not an us problem so i think currently there's a lot of separatism between countries going on right now seeing as like yeah there's still some sort of unity but i don't think it's going deep enough into the countries that really need it so in regards to helping them in regards to helping these countries maybe having subgroups within the un or like within like a whole organization that contains all the countries in the world like a subgroup that is suited to each country and where they are at economically socially in the world that could help align okay what sort of help we need to give to that country for example like if you wouldn't give a chemotherapy treatment to persons struggling with diabetes and I don't think there's one solution overall that would help one country I think it needs to be more specific yeah so I agree with that I think the idea that there's not one one solution that for for every single country you're not going to drag everyone out of poverty all at once I think an example of this and this is GCSE geography so forgive me if if my information is a bit shaky but I think Tanzania, they had um, this proje- project where, I can't remember what other country was providing this aid, but essentially they gave them goats and they, that meant they could sell the milk, they could potentially sell cheese, that kind of thing. Um, 
and it was supposed to provide a means of income for these people over the course of not just in immediately but over the course of you know 50 years that kind of thing to kind of kickstart um, an economy and the issue with that project was then that it wasn't entirely sustainable you know the goats got sick and the people couldn't actually afford to, to take care of them that kind of thing so I do think that whilst you know it's poverty is not a great thing I do think that we do need to take a step back and kind of evaluate what we're doing in terms of aid and how useful it will be to countries so I do think the idea that you know perhaps countries of similar situations a country that's perhaps just developed or is developing uh, or growing in terms of GDP and there's less economic growth there someone like you know India perhaps that would be a great place to to give advice they'd be they'd be a great they'd be in a good position sorry to give advice to to a smaller country that is perhaps struggling in the same way that India would have been in previous years. You know, a lot of these countries are suffering at the hands of colonisation. And, you know, we're still seeing a lot of the effects of, of the way in which Britain behaved uh, a, a while ago, a long time ago. So I do think that we do have a responsibility as, as a nation, as a sovereign state, the United Kingdom, as, as a collection of countries in the UN, to help these smaller countries to, to get more developed because at the end of the day it's only going to benefit us if we if we help to grow the world rather than certain specific places um so perhaps if if we laid off some production instead of taking it to china we took it to somewhere else and built up infrastructure there it would not only would that, that mean that that country is more developed but it was kind it would kind of close the gap between the two and it would mean that sanctions would be more effective because we would never be in a position where one country holds most of the productive power in in the world so yeah i think that's that's a good place to start in terms of the the idea that in terms of the idea that navigational rights and the other rules about um exclusive economic zones in the un convention in terms of the overlap and the idea that you know India's uncomfortable or something but it's not entirely illegal and there's a lot of there's a bit of a grey area because there's a bit of a grey area because it's hard for a country to know whether the intentions of of another country are entirely innocent do you think there is a way that we can do you think there's a way that we can make the law a bit clearer and in in the sense that India wouldn't feel a threat because you know, the United States would do something, or there'd be something in place to stop them from doing anything illegal. Do you know what I'm saying? In regards to the breaching of the EE zone, I think there has to be some sort of criteria for what reasons a person might innocently pass through one. For example, if it was like a civilian ship or humanitarian aid ship going through an EE zone, I don't think there would have been much threat to India, but like India did have a have justification for being a bit worried because it was like a threat as it was a naval ship coming into India and I don't think they believed they were at war with America so I don't think there was like there are any grounds for America to say it was just innocent and I think they have to see from India's perspective oh a military ship coming into our land hmm what did we do is there a war so I think there's every right I think there needs to be a clearing up of why they're passing through before they get there. Instead of people having to react, there should be like a prevention 
Um, yeah, I completely agree with Tony. Like, yeah, there needs to be, even if, like, the rules say that they can, I feel like they need to work on their communication and just work on keeping, um, like, social solidarity and just, like, yeah, I feel like it's justifiable that India would be like, well, what's going on? And just them explaining would save everyone a lot of trouble. So, yeah. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think the issue is really that if it was so innocent, why did it seem as though there's a military ship coming into Indian land? I think perhaps just filling out a form or something, it kind of just clears up this whole idea that... Because India, of course, they have every reason to feel like they might be under, under attack. And it is quite suspicious for a, for a military ship to just turn up one day. So whilst, obviously, I don't believe that America have any malicious intent, it would have been helpful if, not for them to request permission, because they legally don't have to, but just for them to state to India that, oh, we're going to be coming through your land, don't be alarmed. Just to kind of maintain a sound international relation between the two countries, because I think now, um, from the perspective of India, that's a bit, it's a bit scary. Yeah, it's just like common courtesy, just to be like, hi, we're just passing through, nothing, yeah. nothing big here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it would have cleared up a lot if America had announced before they arrived. So yeah, do you guys have any any further questions? I think overall, in essence, a big solution to some of the problems within international law is communication, as it's a subject that affects everyone in the world, so there needs to be links between everyone in the world so everything is translated properly between people so we can avoid mistakes like the naval ship in the EEZ for example. So I hope all of you enjoyed listening to our thoughts and theories on international law and we hope you tune in for our next podcast. Thank you for listening.